Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 33 of The Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and I'm really digging obstructing evidence. <laughs> and I'm Barbin. Wow, what is that horrible screeching sound? It oh, hurts. It does. Oh my gosh, we're the earplugs. Okay, today we're going to be discussing the 15th Sleepy Hollow episode of season three entitled Incommunicado, which was written by Shernald Williams and Heather V. Rainier. And I will say, wow, outstanding writing. They had great lines. And it was directed by Russell Fine. Another great episode, Barb. This one really was. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. And I think we're going to have a lot to say about it, don't you, Steve? Oh, absolutely. So how about that recap? Let me fire that right up. The episode opens with three middle-aged musicians jamming during their practice session. Suddenly, an old, ugly monster appears and screeches horribly, causing their eardrums to rupture, and they die from cerebral hemorrhages. Ichabod Crane is in the archives trying to learn more about the emblem and the tablet. Abby Mills learns that he used the emblem and tablet to watch her buying him breakfast, and she warns him about trust. Sophie Mills calls Abby and asks her to come to the office, where she has a rehearsal tape of the musicians showing an unknown entity. While Crane is working, the Hidden One appears to kill the witnesses for allegedly manhandling Pandora. Crane will not tell him where Abby is, and the Hidden One throws blue power energy at Crane, trying to kill him. The rune symbol flies out of Crane's pocket and stops the killing power. The room explodes in eerie blue light, sealing them both in the room. Abby is unable to enter the archives and sees Pandora who explains that the Hidden One and Crane are imprisoned by the Emblem of Thura, activated for the first time in 4,000 years. If the Hidden One fights against this imprisonment, he will destroy both himself and Crane. Abby says they will need to work together to get the men out. Sophie brings Jenny and Joe the recording, and Jenny realizes the monster is a banshee, an Irish messenger from another world. Abby tells Jenny that their team needs to handle the banshee while she tries to free Crane, and Jenny can't believe Abby is working with Pandora. Jenny finds a former acquaintance, an Irish pub owner, who tells them how to contain the banshee using 200-plus-year-old iron and how to get its attention. Their first attempt to contain the banshee doesn't go well, and they learn from Abby that they must capture it alive so Pandora can use its power just as it escapes. During their second attempt, Joe is forced to shoot it with a crossbow, killing it. Crane awakens, and the Hidden One tells Crane about the emblem, and Crane understands that it is more powerful than the Hidden One. Crane proceeds to lecture the Hidden One about the arts that have been created by humans, including music, art, literature, and comics. Of course, the Hidden One believes that only art created to worship him was important. He then tries to mess with Crane's head and tells him, that Crane inherited the witness role from his ancestors. Crane convinces the Hidden One to translate the writing on his tablet so that they can help Abby and Pandora help them, even though the Hidden One doesn't believe Pandora would do that. 
Pandora still needs a monster from which to draw power, and Joe agrees to become the Wendigo so she can draw it from him. Abby and Jenny don't like the idea, and when the Wendigo emerges and loses control, Jenny tells him she loves him, and he goes back to the mystic circle that Pandora created. It isn't working, and Pandora asks for the box pieces, saying this entire situation is her fault because she gave the humans the emblem which imprisoned her husband. The Hidden One translates the tablet, and Crane is able to see the situation with Joe and Pandora, and they both hear Pandora's confession about the emblem. Jenny brings the box piece to Pandora, and it does the trick. Joe returns to himself, free of the Wendigo curse, and Abby runs to find Crane. They embrace. Crane tells Abby about their witness ancestral legacy, and then discover that the tablet and the emblem have been destroyed. Jenny and Joe return to the trailer, and all is well. Pandora is back in her lair, and the Hidden One confronts her about her lies. It appears there will be trouble in paradise. (laughs) You think? She's crazy. He's crazy. But before we talk about how crazy they both are together, those kids, how about some news, Steve? All right. We have some rating news for episode 12, Sins of the Father. The Live Plus 7, we were tied for 19th in viewers percentage gain, increasing by 52% to 4.5 million viewers. Last week's episode, Into the Wild, we got our final numbers of 2.91 million viewers with a 0.8 rating among adults 18 to 49. So it dropped slightly, but our um, rating stayed at 0.8. And for this episode, our preliminary numbers are 2.81 million viewers with, again, a 0.8 rating among adults 18 to 49. Now, we did have the NCAA basketball tournament going on, so I'm sure that took away a few of our viewers. Well, that that's going to continue here for a couple more weeks of competition on Friday night, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue. And, of course, next Friday is Good Friday, and so we're probably going to have a lot more folks that are going to wa- be watching this via recording rather than live. Yes. Absolutely will. But as long as the overall viewers are where we need them to be, and I think you had indicated what on Sins of the Father, that was 4.5 million, a little below the five that we'd like to see, but still a nice increase overall. So Steve, how did you rate this episode? Well, I give it 8.5 banshee-sized earplugs. Yowzer. You know, and I don't think those earplugs, those dime store earplugs may have been all that effective. No. (laughs) Yeah. They need needed banshee size. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. And I gave it 8.5 symphonies playing Beethoven's Fifth Piano Concerto. Of course, that Very was before, nice. yeah, before Joe had to blow it up with the a little bow and arrow thing he had going there, the crossbow. We had more than one monster this week, so you've got a little bit to talk about here, Steve. Don't, oh, uh, don't yes, you? we sure do. Well, we get introduced to the Banshee immediately, and it was very interesting the way she kind of appeared, because it was kind of the same way that the Hidden One kind of disappeared Yeah, in the previous episode with the dust, and I was going, hmm, Yeah, I don't know if this was one that he actually was able to uh, bring into our world or, or not, but... It was interesting that they both kind of moved in the same manner. Yeah, when we first saw that smoke in the background, I thought, 
is this where he's going to show up? He's in the wrong place. Right. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is weird. And I thought, no, he's not quite that gray, smoky looking, is he? And and it wasn't him. No. Nope. And I guess she's not a band of old men. <laughs> Everybody's the music critic. Or that post-punk rock stuff, whatever it was that they were trying to play. Right. Well, and it was probably the shredding that was going on that attracted her more than anything. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, Yeah, that shredding. Yeah, that sounded worse than her screeching, not. Speaking of that screeching, what it sounded like to me? What? Remember when Harry Potter opened up that golden egg that he had won? Yes. Before he learned that he had to put it in the bath so he could hear the mermaids singing? And that screech, and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's the same thing. Exactly. And, of course, our banshee is a female spirit from Irish mythology, which was a nice touch to bring in the Irish, seeing that this week was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. Now, I was very impressed with the banshee, because she made it impossible for them to be able to catch her. I mean, they tried twice, and you thought, especially after they get the text that they wanted the banshee alive. And they came up with a pretty good plan with the soundproof blanket and the metal wire. You thought they had her for a minute, and all of a sudden she breaks out of that and goes to screeching again. And Joe had no other choice but to shoot her with the crossbow to save Jenny. Yeah, and those hideous pink that you can buy in a little packet at At your uh, closest pharmacy. Those little earplugs were very obvious the first time they went after her, but I sure didn't see them the second time. No. And she was getting away anyway. Yeah. Yeah, she was out of the blanket. She was going to get away one way or another. Yeah, she was determined not to be caught. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, when he shot her with the crossbow and killed her, I thought, well, no, maybe she's not really dead, because I thought, wait a minute, they need a monster. Right. The show isn't halfway over. How how could they have just killed the monster of the week? Uh oh. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. But we get to see the hidden one just stroll right into uh, the archives, and you go, "All right, guys, you've had enough going on. You would think you would put in at least some kind of security system, a protection spell, something." I know. Really? I mean, really? He just waltzed right in. Yeah. Yeah, just walked in like he owned the place. Well, he did for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he was definitely set on uh, trying to kill Crane and take care of Abby as well. But Abby would be tortured. And so he gets his little blue ball of energy and throws it at Crane and Crane ducks. And you see the emblem fly out of his pocket. And intercept the energy, and something is not going to end well with this. No, I got to tell you, the first time I I watched it, because I watched it twice last night, and the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, that was so cool. (laughs) Exactly. But to me, it reminded me, again, so I'm going back to Harry Potter. I don't know. I just have Harry Potter on the mind this week for some reason. And it reminded me of Harry Potter and Voldemort having their dueling spells against each other, and the way that the blue fireball and the emblem collided there in midair and just fought each other. I thought, wow, that was just awesome. Yes, it really was. Well done. Extraordinarily well done. Kudos to the um, special effects folks at Sleepy Hollow for that one. Yes. 
And of course, as soon as that happens, the hidden one knows what has happened, and he is not a happy camper. He didn't want to go back to the catacombs. Uh, He didn't want to be trapped. At all, period. Exactly. (laughs) It didn't matter if it was the catacombs or the archives. He did not want to be trapped again. No, he said it wasn't going to happen to him again, period. Yes. And he was going to try to blast his way out of there. And like Pandora said, all it would have done was destroyed him and Crane and the archives. Exactly. And he didn't care. No, no. He was bound and determined. It's all about him. Yes, it really is. And so Crane picked up on that very quickly and kind of uh, goaded him into uh, dropping some very important information as they're playing their little mind games with each other. And it was very interesting that the Hidden One actually, he almost played Santa Claus there for a second because he tells Crane about his childhood and him hiding away to read books. And you go, what? Yeah, I wanted to know how he knew that, too. And I'm thinking, yeah, how did you know that? Because <laughs> you didn't have a koi pond there in the catacombs. No. And if you were that all-powerful and th- that all-seeing, you would have been out of the catacombs. Exactly. So how on earth did you know that? Hopefully we will get to find that out. Because that was very intriguing that he knew that. Yeah, yeah it wasn't as surprising that... We had speculated that the witnesses, it was a lineage thing, and that's how both Crane and Abby ended up becoming witnesses, was because it had been carried forward through their families. Crane was so surprised when that was revealed to him. Yes. And I'm sitting here scratching my head thinking, now how could you not have thought of that before? Because (laughs) we've speculated on it for such a long time, but then I had to stop and think and say, well, wait a minute. All he knows is he has a tablet. It was until last week that they didn't know that this emblem and this tablet could work together. And the only reason that we know that witnesses have fought and defeated the Hidden One before is because we've learned that through Pandora's discussions with the Hidden One. So there really was no reason for them to even know that the Hidden One had been vanquished previously. They wouldn't have known that. No, not at all. Yeah. And of course, later on when... And I was kind of surprised that the Hidden One actually decided to translate the tablet for him. Crane conned him. Wow. They actually are doing something together. Well, because I think he convinced him, and I know we'll talk about that more when we discuss Crane, but that was one of the things that I really liked is that, well, for both Abby and for Crane, how they were more the problem solvers and not the whiners. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. But, of course, getting the witness phone to work only (laughs) reveals Pandora's lies that she's been hiding from the Hidden One about not only knowing that the witnesses had the emblem, but also previously informing the humans that the emblem would trap the Hidden One when he got stuck in the catacombs for 4,000 years. Oh, and she was so busted. I just burst out laughing when he saw that in the blue bubble, in the blue mirror witness phone bubble. Yes. And and I thought, busted. You're busted. Yes. <laughs> but, and that actually was a really neat reveal because that was a new piece of information for us as well. Yes, it was. And if we remember what the catacombs look like when they would pull back from them and you would see them in the distance, 
mm-hmm. they had that big emblem, and the emblem was actually at the top of the outside of the catacombs when it was placed back there into the rock or into the side of the mountain or whatever. So having that big emblem up on top of the rock there must have been what helped then imprison him. It was probably it's, all over the catacombs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that probably is what not only kept him there, but kept him unconscious. Or whatever he was doing for 4,000 years. Right. And of course, there at the end, the hidden one definitely lets Pandora know that he now knows this. And you go, yeah, Pandora, you're in deep trouble. But if he's all-knowing and knew all this stuff about Crane, why didn't he know this, that Pandora did this anyway? That's a very good question. Something just not adding up here. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Hand wave. Yeah. Either that or she had her little box and she used her little box powers to hide it from him. That's possible, I guess. So, All the, right. How but, about Team Witness? Yeah. So Jenny and Joe, and, and we're going to go ahead and throw Sophie into the mix here since she was working with Jenny and Joe again this week. So we had a lot of Abby and Sophie working together last week. And so this week, I think we had a bit more Jenny and Joe and then Crane doing his thing with the hidden one. And there was a lot of positive movement in their relationship, certainly, certainly this week. They just took the next step. When Sophie pulled out that rehearsal tape before anyone else could see it, and she said that she really enjoyed obstructing evidence when she was showing it to Abby, I just thought that was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> And Sophie had a few moments of comic relief during the episode last night. Oh, yes, she did. She had some nice lines. Yeah, when she w- uh, when like, okay, who who's going to tell Abby that we just killed the uh, Banshee? Um, you know, not me, right? Yeah, <laughs> not I. Not I. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to say, Jessica Camacho, from taking this character that at the beginning of the season... We thought we were really going to dislike quite a bit, right? Oh, absolutely. I know. She was just, yeah, she was somebody that we really didn't care for at all. And then uh, turning her into this person that is actually working very closely with the team and is terribly funny. I've really come to enjoy Sophie quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And when, as they're in the office talking and they really had great chemistry together because Abby would mention something and Sophie'd come right back with, yeah, it's this. And Abby'd go, yeah, okay, and it's this. And yeah, it's this. And you got to love her intelligence and knowledge. Yeah. I think it's, I'd read somewhere that uh, some folks are concerned that maybe she'll really turn out to be a bad guy at the end of the season, but I really don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think so either. No. So anyway, Jenny and Joe then are enlisted by Sophie for help in identifying what this monster is. And so Jenny very quickly ascertains that it is a banshee and naturally jenny knows somebody right because jenny always knows someone to whom that they can go and to whom that they can talk but it's interesting that when jenny calls abby to tell her about the banshee and so jenny's kind of giving abby a lecture uh like it's probably not a good idea that you're teaming up with pandora here because you know what she almost did to joe and i but i will say that I thought that Joe looked kind of hurt when Jenny had said, if Joe hadn't when Diggoed out when they last encountered Pandora, that they would be, you know, just, you know, what, dust on the floor, grease on the floor, I think is what she said. Right. 
But when she said, if, if Joe hadn't win, Diggoed out, and he just kind of gave her a look, like, did you just say that? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, poor Joe. And I thought, she doesn't really mean it that way, Joe. It's okay. But anyway, so we get back to that, and here's Jenny goes to see her connection at an Irish pub, right? Of course, and, had and to be. It, it, it was perfect. And I know how, how much you love Ireland. Oh, absolutely do. And so here we are, and I thought, well, this is a nice little shout-out to St. Paddy's Day. It's a day late, but it doesn't matter. It's got the spirit of the thing here, and it was, it was really a lot of fun. And so this, this guy says, you don't want to run into it. You just want to take your, your whiskey and run, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. He, he told him, look, go get 200-plus-year-old iron, and then you got to attract it, right, you, with noise. So Joe, and so this is where his EMT profession comes into play. He is obviously smart enough to grab the ambulance, flick on those sirens after they've stolen the fencing, thankfully, from the uh, graveyard that they can use so that they've got their iron. And I thought that was a really great idea. Go flying through the countryside with your sirens just blaring. And sure enough, there it comes. But it's too bad. He still had to kill it. Yes. Well, I thought it was interesting that Jenny used the iron and basically hit the banshee in the throat. Yep. And got her to stop squealing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was the direct contact with the iron, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> but it was interesting. And, and, you know, as we had speculated last week, Joe was worried about becoming the Wendigo again, right? And he felt that he couldn't trust himself around Jenny. And that's, yes. and that's exactly what we said, that we were that we thought he's going to be scared to death and he's going to even wonder if he can have a relationship with her. So it was no surprise then that when Pandora said, hey, I still need a monster and she's looking right at him and it's like, rut row. Yeah. <laughs> and when he asked her, if you take this power out of me, if you take the monster out of me, is it gone forever, right? And he was willing to take that risk so that he would not be a threat to Jenny so that he could be with her. Yes. That's just such sweet love, isn't it? It really is. He's showing a total dedication to her. He really was. And neither... Of course, Pandora didn't help at all by her, well, maybe, I don't know. I'm not going to give you an answer anyway. And you still might die. Yeah. But Pandora really hasn't shown a great deal of, um, I guess, what, intuition or uh, when working with other people? <laughs> no. I guess that's what happens when you wrap your life around an inanimate object, the box. Yes. So what was interesting is here is Joe prepares to step into this mystic circle that Pandora has created, and he tells Jenny that he's going to do it, and he tells her that he loves her, and she's just, ah, uh, and I'm like, Jenny, hun, he may not come back from this. Say the words. And she, yes. <laughs> and she did not do it. No. But once he did get into the circle, he turned into the Wendigo, and it was clear that it wasn't working because Pandora didn't have enough power to pull the monster stuff out of him. And then... Basically, Pandora was conning them into getting the box piece, but I think that she probably really did need it to get the power out of him anyway. I think that she probably wasn't strong enough, but still she got what she wanted. Yes. But it was at that point 
that when Joe stepped out of the circle and they had to get him back into it, and Jenny says, you are the man that I love. And it was the love, her love, that got through to Joe deep inside his monster personality, and he got back in the circle. And then she went and she got the piece of the box, and it worked. And it was kind of curious that Pandora is basically telling Abby that she needs the piece. And Abby is having a difficult time making a decision which way to go. And it's Jenny that goes, gets it. And of course, she knew where it was, but it wasn't like Abby goes, go get it, Jenny. No, Jenny just went and got it because she wanted Joe back. Yeah. And I have to think that part of that is the struggle that Abby has inside of her because she knows that she and Crane may have to die as witnesses, right? To protect the earth. And if Pandora gets her box and she gets that power and she gives it to the hidden one, he could destroy the world. And I'm great, huge internal struggle that had to be going on. But didn't you think that when Jenny and Joe as the Wendigo were face to face, didn't that look like a lovely beauty in the beast moment? Oh, absolutely was. (laughs) I thought they can go dance in the mystic circle. It would be perfect. (laughs) All right. So, and and one of the things we had also talked about last week was, hey, what's going to happen to Joe? Because if he had turned into, if he completely transformed into the Wendigo for the third time, he was supposed to be stuck and become the monster. So I have to believe that by Pandora pulling the monster power out of him, that's probably the only thing that ultimately saved him. It would have to be. Yeah. And that kept him from being a monster forever. Thank goodness for that. Yes. (laughs) So I guess it was okay after all. Or he got reset. Or he got reset last time, which we still don't know. But honestly, we have a happy ending now, and we believe that he's cured, and he feels like he's cured. Most important thing of all. Yes, that is the most important thing, is that he believes he is. Exactly. Okay, so... What about our boy Crane this week? We had a lot of Crane, which was a very good thing, I thought. Yes, it was. And he really shined. And it wasn't so much the kind of slapstick stuff that we've seen him do recently. He was very sharp, very strong in his convictions, and really stood toe-to-toe with the Hidden One, which was absolutely amazing. I think that Tom Meissen did an incredible job because he showed throughout this entire episode, because he showed that fear and that shock when the hidden one came into the room. He showed that he was probably a little bit somewhat nervous, but take a deep breath. like He wasn't afraid to die. But then you could see that incredible concern on his face when the hidden one said he would, that he was basically going to make sure that Abby's death would be horrible and and terrible and painful. So you could watch the change in emotions, but he he showed that Crane had this incredible amount of courage in the face of potential death. He absolutely did. Mm -hmm. And before we get to the hidden one, that little conversation he has with Abby when she brings him something he didn't want... It was still food. <laughs> yes, it was. Was absolutely brilliant. I love the way that he was not able to keep it secret that he knew what she had bought. <laughs> he 
He's he is so sweetly transparent in that way. It's it's that innocence of coming from another age. Yes. And it's so cute. And Abby was right on him, gave him the my eyes are on you. <laughs> and trust. Yes. I mean, this is the conversation we were just been listening to with Joe and Jenny for the past couple episodes on trust. And Abby made sure that he understood that something this little could cause a big problem if he's not careful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, before Crane can tell her that the muffin was really good, or no, it wasn't a muffin, it was a croissant, was really good. She had already gotten out the door. And, of course, when he hears the door open, he thinks it's Abby. Yep. And he pops off a wisecrack and... Oops. <laughs> rut row, unexpected guest, unwelcome Where's guest. Where's the uh, demigod alarm when you need one? Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, it was really nice to see him stand up to the hidden one in the face of death. He informs him, I've died before. I'm not afraid to die again. And he was very quick with his reactions, too, because he pulled out his gun, which then... The hidden one sort of managed to melt, pulverize, whatever, in his hand. So we got to see his very quick reflexes, but just the bravery and the courage. I really enjoyed watching that. Yes, that was great to see. Cause, and Crane's always been that way. There isn't too much that's going to make him completely cower in fear. No, he really hasn't done that before. His, his fear has always been for others. Yes. And, of course, he gives probably one of the greatest speeches in the entire series so far. Gurry. When he waxes poetic about the inspiration of the arts. And what and, else that tells you is how much he's actually read and studied during this time that he has been here in the modern world. Yes, because he made several references to modern artists. Music, poetry. The comics, he, he hit peanuts yes. again. Yes, he did. He must really like peanuts. Well, we all do. We all yes. do, Crane. We all do. And his ability to actually convince the hidden one that they needed to work together and that he needed to have the tablet translated, I thought was fantastic because they're about three quarters of the way through, even though the hidden one is still being his normal self. He's almost showing just a little respect for Crane, I thought. A little tiny bit, because I don't think he shows much respect for anyone. No, he's not going to. And the interesting part is that Crane knew, without a doubt, that Abby was working on a way to get them out of there. Yes. The Even one, if it meant working with Pandora. Yeah, and the hidden one had no such confidence in Pandora at all. <laughs> which really says something about the partnerships, quote-unquote. Now, I use that term very loosely with Pandora and the Hidden One. Yes. It shows something about the partnerships and the relationships between these people. A whole lot. I loved his reaction when he finds out. At first, the Hidden One goes into his backstory, and Crane is just odd that he knows this. And then the reaction when he... The Hidden One actually tells him that the only reason you're the witness is because of your family. Crane was just flabbergasted. He really was. He was shocked. 
So it was absolutely amazing that he gets hit with stuff, but he doesn't let it affect him. He comes right back, you know, goes right back into what he what needs to be done. He's not going to dwell on it. I'll deal with it later. I've got to do this first. And it was to get that witness phone turned on. Well, and that always gets you back into the, is this, into the, this gets you into that discussion that takes place in so many different shows. Is this your fate? Do you have any control over your destiny? Yes. And we've seen that on show after show (laughs) after show. So is this really Crane's fate and his destiny? Does he have any control whatsoever in his own life? And I think that's what the Hidden One was trying to do, was trying to undercut Crane and basically make him feel insignificant and say, it doesn't really matter. Your whole life is is mapped out for you already. There is nothing you can do to change anything. Oh, absolutely. And at this point in time... If the Hidden One was able to accomplish his goal of getting rid of both of them, that's the end of the lineage. Yes. they Neither one of them have children. No, but Abby has a sister. True. There is another. <laughs> and it was it's always amazing to see Crane, like I said earlier, be smart and humorous at the same time instead of being a little slapsticky like he they've portrayed him in a couple of the episodes previously so it was very smart humor yes that he used in this episode and that it was great to have him back in his true form yeah we like intelligent crane exactly the way he is yes exactly yep exactly well what about abby barb Well, as we've already discussed, it was very funny to watch Abby busting Crane for using his new toys. (laughs) And he loves those toys. He loves his toys. To watch her buy him breakfast. And so I I did see a couple comments out there about, so sleepyheads, you know, what else might Crane have seen? It's like, no, no, no. Let's not go down that path, children. Yes. (laughs) No kids. (laughs) I'll show up in fan fiction somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, but, there uh, are a few sleepy heads out there that are definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's all right. We all have our create our creative outlets for the arts. That's right. There you go. And we love you all. <laughs> yeah, and and again, so the same way that the crane was telling, convincing the hidden one that they had to work together, Abby was doing exactly the same thing with Pandora, and she made it clear her priority was saving Crane. Period. And she clearly didn't want to work with Pandora, but to get what she really wanted, which was saving Crane, she was going to set aside her differences and she was going to do it. And I think that was even more telling that when Sophie and Jenny are saying, hey, look, here's, we got this monster, this banshee, and Abby's like, you guys are capable, go deal with it, right? Right. This is not my priority. I'm delegating this to you guys. And so she really drove home that point to both Pandora and then basically to Jenny Joan and Sophie. Her priority was saving Crane. And I thought that was magnificent. And I thought that was another step forward for Abby as well, because you wonder as witnesses whether their priority might have real, it maybe not always, but perhaps at some point in the past been 
defeat the monsters and one of us may not survive. And I think we've actually heard them articulate that previously. Yes, we have. And yet now this bond that they have between them ever since Crane sent his sent his astral projection to go find Abby. And I just love those words, astral projection. <laughs> ever since then, and they understand this tight bond with each that they have with each other and now that they know that it's ancestral, it's gonna be, I think that bond will become even tighter and even closer. I agree. And and like you said, you look at the relationship that between Abby and Crane versus the hidden one in Pandora, and it's like night and day. And you know that if one thing goes wrong for the hidden one in Pandora, they're going to be at each other, and who knows what's going to happen. Oh, I know, because they just spat all the time. So let me go ahead and say it now so that I get it in this week, and I'll make (laughs) you happy and everyone else too. Okay, so the hidden one is a jerk, right? Yes. Crane is adorable. He's wonderful. He would never in a million years be a jerk. No. Never. But anyway, so I, I think that was really interesting. And I, and I think that the writers very deliberately were telling us that Crane was Abby's priority because they, they didn't hit on it once. They hit on it more than one time in this yes, episode. Yes, they did. And, and we did talk about Joe earlier, but Abby did tell Pandora that, I mean, that she was worried about Joe when this whole thing started. And that she was going to hold Pandora cannibal if anything happened to him. I mean, she went into like total big sister mode. Like, don't mess with my peeps. Exactly. But then again, then she had that terrible moment of hesitation of giving Pandora anything that could help Pandora and the hidden one destroy the earth. So very tough, tough moment for her. And, and that, that I think, again, that internal struggle was just playing on her face. And uh, Nicole Bahari is such a talented actor. And just the emotions that she showed, I think I thought she did a magnificent job. I absolutely agree. And what was cute was as soon as Pandora said this is working, right? Yes. And Joe was beginning to transform back into Joe. Abby didn't stick around. She ran straight to go find Crane. <laughs> yes, she did. And she got in. She gave him a big hug. And when he was saying, well, Lieutenant, you know, I, you know, you've saved my life again. And she's telling him that she's keeping count of how many times <laughs> she saved him. <laughs> that was great. But it was a very, it was a very sweet moment. And I thought, yes, it was. And I know that a lot of the sleepyheads out there on Twitter probably had to watch it again to change their attitude about it. Because when Crane say, Dabby, that was a big long hug and this one didn't at least to them didn't seem like it was the same type of hug and they were going what do you mean they're they're backsliding they're backsliding no no oh no <laughs> i missed that watch it again it was a very nice hug <laughs> i thought it was a very nice hug it was a grab hold on hug Yes, it was. I'm not letting go hug. Yeah, really. I mean, because she had to reach up. He's a whole lot taller than she is. (laughs) Exactly. She had to reach up and grab him, and she did. It's okay, sleepyheads. It's all right. We're still ignoring that Danny thing from last week, okay? But why on earth did they let Pandora go? I mean, nobody, it was over, yeah, and Abby runs off to find Crane, Jenny's grabbing Joe, and... Pandora just gets away. Exactly. Like, what? 
Maybe they thought it was they had to do it for like a gentleman's type agreement, right? That she helped us and so we have to let her go. But guys, she's running off with another piece of the box for crying out loud. And she's vamoose somewhere. I didn't quite get that. I mean, she's got the lid completely reassembled now. And the sides. I think she only needs the bottom, right? Is that what she needs? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it kind of looked like it to me too. So that was the only part that kind of disturbed me a little bit. And like you said earlier, it was very interesting how both Abby and Crane were the ones pushing Pandora and the Hidden One into cooperation. They are definitely the true problem solvers of the (laughs) four. Yeah, they they really are. And clearly that will help them as they come to this whatever great clash that is going to occur because we know it's going to happen. But now each side knows a little bit more about the other. Which is interesting because I would yes. think, yeah, because the hidden one, he's, you know, he's not much, well, he's certainly not into introspection at all. I mean, clearly he has his opinion about himself, which is he can do no wrong. And he's not very self-aware. He's not insightful. And I wonder, will he even think this through about what, how, how can he learn what he has used against the witnesses? And I'm not sure, I'm not sure he would even... I'm not even sure he would consider that. No, I don't think he will. And both Abby and Crane will use what they learned about the Hidden One and Pandora to their advantage somehow, some way. I agree. So our episode title, Incommunicado, which is a state where you're not able to communicate with other people. Thank you, Merriam-Webster. Online dictionary. So... It's interesting we would call it incommunicado because even though Abby and Crane may not have been able to talk to each other face-to-face, they had their secret weapon, right, Steve? Absolutely. They were able to use their bond to figure out what the other one was doing. Absolutely. So they found a way to communicate through a lack of traditional communication devices because the cell phone certainly wasn't working through the... um, uh, imprisonment barrier. Spell. No, it was, barrier. you weren't getting a cell s- signal no. through the barrier. Through the impen- impenetrable barrier, right? And Jenny and and Joe when he turned into the Wendigo, right? So you may have said there was a lack of communication there because as a monster he normally didn't get it, but she communicated to him her love and that bond and that trust that they have each other. They worked it out, right? Absolutely did. But as you said. Your good buddies, Pandora and the Head One? Not so much. <laughs> no. I doubt we'll get to see the discussion that they do have when uh, the Hidden One uh, comes down on her case about this. I don't know. Well, maybe we won't, but I'm sure we'll find out about the fallout from it, though. That There's no doubt about that. And I guess for Incommunicado, well, it was a little hard to communicate when the, when the Banshee was around and... <laughs> Screech! Oh, God, that was (laughs) ear-piercing. Yes, it was. And how Jenny was able to know that she got a text from Abby and looked at her phone. I mean, there's another communication there, because there's no way she could have heard any notification whatsoever with the Banshee screaming at him. Maybe she had it on vibrate. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) But see, that's it. See, sisters know how to communicate with each other. They were doing a great job. Yes, they were. So, Steve, think we should get into some prophecies? Sure. I think everybody 
was disappointed that our emblem and the tablet have been destroyed already. Yeah, those went when when Crane went back around to the side of the table, and you're looking at ashes there on the table. I like whoa 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 stop! It went poof. No, wait a minute. We just started talking about these. We just found out about their power. These are family heirlooms that have been passed down through generations, and it's gone. Seriously. So to me, it was a. Kind of like losing or destroying a family artifact, right? That you saw an Antiques Roadshow that was worth like maybe twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, like, exactly. And it's been passed down through generations and generations and generations, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's gone, it's destroyed, it got lost. Are you kidding me? And it was worth that much money. And this this marvelous these marvelous artifacts that they had passed down through over four thousand years in their families. Poof, gone. What a huge sense of loss. Yes, but I think the alternative would have been much worse because we would have lost both witnesses had it not been for the yeah, that's, emblem and tablet. So Yeah, that's true because Hen would have poofed Crane and then and then if he had gone poof, then Pandora would have been upset and she would have poofed Abby. So yeah. That would have been very sad. Yes, it would. But then and Joe's monster power is gone, but that's a good thing. Yes, that is a good thing. But now how are they going to fight Pandora and the Hidden One? That's what's going to make this so interesting is because now they don't have anything but their wits. Which is what they've actually had all along. And they've done a fantastic job fighting monsters for two and a half years with primarily their wits. Sometimes with a little magical help, but mostly with their intelligence. Yes. And their perseverance. And Crane said these tunes have never let him down. And when the Hidden One absorbed all that knowledge, he comes back, there's nothing in here to help us. Well, that's because you don't comprehend things like Crane does. Do you think they'll try and take Pandora's box away from her? Or, or even more, do you, think, do you think the Hidden One will take Pandora's box away from her? I believe so. I have a feeling he's going to just basically return her to become to a mortal human and boot her out. Oh, that's a good thought. Because he gave her both her power and her box. Yes. He giveth and he's going to taketh away, maybe. Yes. For having me stuck in a catacombs for 4,000 years, yeah, you got to go. Well, especially since he now knows that she gave... The the rune, the emblem, to the humans who imprisoned him to begin with. Exactly. Huh. Well, if she gets all her power taken away and she's a mere mortal, I wonder how quickly she'll age. Maybe she'll look like the Banshee pretty quickly. <laughs> That's quite possible. Or will she go back to work with the witnesses and try and talk to them? I think if she actually does lose all her powers, she won't have a choice. The only... The only way possible that she would have any kind of protection is to team up with with the witnesses. Well, that's true, because if he does destroy the Earth, then he'll kill her. Yes. And with all the power that she's had, I mean, all those thoughts are still going to be in her mind about how she's lost power, and she's not going to want to become some little victim. No. Yeah, she might go back. She might go to them, especially if she has no power whatsoever. Right. I guess we'll see what happens. How on earth can she still love this? Uh, uh, well, it's 
you're worshiping a god. So, yes, she's basically playing along now because she had 4,000 years away from him. Yep. And had power for herself. So, yeah, uh, I don't think she's that in love with him anymore. Well, she we'll just see. knows that he can take her down if and when he wants to. Well, I guess we'll see how this plays out over the next oh, three episodes. That's three so, episodes. So sad I know. to even say that. All righty. Well, let's go to the fun stuff, Steve. What kind of ickyisms did we have this week? Oh, well, we've got a few. The speech, like I said, was fantastic, but I'm not going to recite that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is a crime against pastries. Nothing more. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Busted crane. So busted. But by God, he thinks quick on his feet. He's a very intelligent man. (laughs) You should know I've died before. I do not fear dying again. Standing up to the hidden one. And I think you'll find I'm a quick study. Well, he definitely is with everything that he's learned. Yes. And of course... I take it you're not a reader. (laughs) And he comes right back with, you may know everything, but you understand nothing. And that was 100% correct. Yes. And that's going to be very key, I believe, going forward. I tend to agree, too. All right. When Abby and Sophie were reviewing the rehearsal video, they noticed a bow in the wall. And Abby mentioned reports in the 1920s about seances where wood, metal, and glass would buckle. And Sophie mentioned the Hyde sisters. Well, there weren't any Hyde sisters during that period in history, but you did seem to find something about the Fox sisters, didn't you? Yes, I did. So I was quite curious about that because let's face it, we didn't have Betsy Ross this week and we didn't have George Washington or Benjamin Franklin or a monster from New Jersey. So I said, okay, what are we going to talk about? And they inserted this little piece of language in the script. And I thought, well, isn't that unusual? So as you said, there weren't any Hyde sisters, but I found the Fox sisters from Hydesville, New York, who were prominent in expanding the modern spiritualism movement beginning in the late 1840s and lasting through at least the 1850s. Um, actually, these, these three sisters died in the 1880s and 1890s, I believe. But I can see why Fox wouldn't want to use their true last name. <laughs> so they called them the Hyde sisters. sisters. And they're, they're really the Fox sisters from Hydesville. So anyway, for our little history lesson today, we're going to talk about the Fox sisters of Hydesville, New York, and their impact on the modern spiritualism movement. Well, late in 1848, these three sisters, ranging in age from 9 to 14 years old, told a neighbor that they had heard strange raps on the walls and furniture of their home. Alea, Maggie, and Kate Fox convinced their neighbors, their parents, and many others that they were communicating with spirits. Their home had a reputation of being haunted, but there had never been any communications with the hereafter until the girls began demonstrating to others that spirits were reaching out to them with taps and raps. By 1849, the sisters had become a bit of a sensation, and they were demonstrating their abilities at the Corinthian Hall in Rochester, New York. And so you see we're back to Rochester this yes. week. So um, Rochester was actually a hotbed for reform and religious activity, 
and several community leaders were intrigued by the girl's story, and they gave them more publicity. Now, these three sisters became famous. They began giving public seances in 1850, and it actually attracted many notable people, including James Fenimore Cooper, an author, very prominent, Horace Greeley, and William Lloyd Garrison. Now, their claimed abilities, of course, attracted imitators. And in the following years, many people claimed to be able to communicate with the spirits of the departed. In 1857, the sisters attempted to win $500, which was offered by the Boston Courier newspaper to any medium who could demonstrate proven paranormal abilities. But guess what? They failed the test. Now, the middle sister, Maggie, denounced spiritualism in 1888 and denounced their work overall as a horrible deception, although she did recant her confession one year later. Now, their deception played a huge role in promoting spiritualism, and the Fox sisters are widely cited in parapsychology and spiritualistic literature. Interesting. Very interesting. So I think that that's what Fox was throwing out there as our as our little hint for us to find this week. <laughs> I think so, too. So I have to say thank you to Wikipedia, as always, and to the Smithsonian Online Magazine, who provided information for this little history lesson. And I'm going to add those links into our blog, if anyone wants to read some more about the Fox Sisters from Hydesville, New York. All right. Well, we did get some feedback this week. Yay. As usual, our bestie Justina sent us a voice message, and here it is. Hi, Barb and Steve. I give that episode of Sleepy Hollow 8 out of 10 donuts. Do you think Abby getting Crane the whole wheat croissant because she's still worried about his sugar intake after the dentist told him he had to lay off the soda and the gummy bears? But seriously, all he wanted was a bear crawl claw. It was pretty funny because it even carried through the whole episode and came back up up at the end. Okay, so Pandora's not going to come over to our side. It would be nice to have all that power on our side, but she double-crossed Team Witness to get pieces of her box back. I still think she might be done for by the end of the season, though, because the Hidden One isn't too happy for with her from keeping secrets from him. At least Pandora did one positive thing for Team Witness, Joe is free of the curse of the Wendigo. That's pretty awesome. So we lost that magical symbol because it got used up against the hidden one. So that could be perceived as a bad thing. But also a good thing because it served its purpose and saved Crane. And now with it all used up and destroyed, maybe Abby can continue to heal and won't be as distracted by its power as we head into the final battle of the season. So this is Justina signing out and planning my route to the nearest donut shop. Have a great week. Loved your rating of eight donuts, Justina. That was really good. Yeah, she's making me hungry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Abby being worried about Crane's sugar intake. (laughs) That is so cute. That's a great thought. I I bet she is. Very possible. And she's happy that Joe is all, she's happy like all the rest of us, that Joe is free of the Wendigo, right? We're all thrilled about that. Yes, we are. And she doesn't think Pandora is going to be changing sides. Well, we shall see. We shall see. All right. And we also got some feedback on Facebook from Todd. Thank you very much, Todd. Of course, his funniest line from the night was, 
It's a crime against pastries. I think everybody liked that a lot. Yes. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> I wish I could have gotten a little more from Crane because was it that he didn't get what he asked for or was it that it was a natural croissant? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season as we wind it down. So please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. This week's shout outs go to Megan Maves, Barbara Ruffin, Lily Russell, and Sleepy Hollow Fox. Heather V. Rainier and Jessica Camacho for their likes of our tweets. We really appreciate it. Very nice. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, you can always call us at our voicemail number at 304-837-2278, or you can go to thegoldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can also typey-typey out your feedback on the form, or you can even... Record audio on your smartphone device and send that in as well. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and we know that's a quick turnaround time, but you know, engage us on Facebook, send a tweet, let us know what you think. As I said, you can get in touch with us on Facebook at Witness Prophecies or on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I'm at Tangier14. And we've come to that part of the episode where we discuss visions of the future. So if you don't want to know about upcoming episodes, run. Run as if you have to listen to an old guy band. Oh, wait, no, maybe the Banshee. You want to run from the Banshee and that screeching noise instead. All right. Episode 16, Don's Early Light. Crane must tap into painful memories in an all-new Sleepy Hollow. As the Hidden One grows stronger, Crane must examine his past with Betsy Ross to find the key to stopping him. Meanwhile, Jenny wonders if she can ever have a relationship with her father, and Abby faces a hard decision as things with Rental become more strained in an all-new Dawn's Early Light. And after seeing the preview, yeah, things are going to get strained with Reynolds. <laughs> Well, remember, after last week, he basically alluded to her that he didn't want her back on the team. Yeah, but in this episode, he gets to see a monster, so... That's well, about darn time. <laughs> yes, it is. For a smart man, he's uh, he's ha- he's been able to have a lot concealed from him. And yes. I'm And I'm looking forward to this, too, because I think we're supposed to be seeing Francis Scott Key. Although, again, now we've said, I think that that we're not sure how that's going to work because uh, if I recall correctly, Francis Scott Key was born (laughs) in the late 1700s. And I think that he probably would have been an infant or maybe not even born yet at the time that Crane was locked into his his little underground box for 250 years. So (laughs) I'm I'm waiting to see how this plays out. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, look who else is going to be in here as um, as guest cast. Did you see? Yes, that? we've got uh, Michael O'Keefe coming back as Jack Walters. We have uh, James McDaniel coming back as Ezra Mills. Good old so, daddy. Yes. Yep. So this this should be uh, this should be a fantastic episode. Yes, it should. Okay, so the one after that, episode seventeen, is Delaware. Abby and Crane go on a difficult journey on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. 
Friday, April the 1st, April Fool's Day, with a single day left before the Hidden One regains complete power, Abby and Crane must do the unthinkable in a last-ditch effort to save the world. Meanwhile, Jenny, Joe, and Sophie devise a plan to stall as the witnesses work. That is going to be downright frightening, I think. Yes, it will. So, and it looks like um, uh, Daddy is back. And, yes. And um, I think George Washington, too, maybe? I sure think so. Uh, we'll find out. So, and if they're calling it Delaware again, this, I think I said this last week, this reminds me of George Washington crossing the Delaware River, which was a significant event in not necessarily in turning the war, but in turning attitudes in the war. Right. And helping uplift spirits. So, yeah, if if they're sitting here and it's, you know, they've got it one day left, then they've got to get people's spirits up so that they can finish this war. All right. And episode 18, the season finale. Abby and Crane discover an unlikely way to defeat the Hidden One on the all-new season finale of Sleepy Hollow, Friday, April 8th. After a startling discovery, Abby and Crane realize what they must do in order to make Pandora's box complete again. Ooh. Meanwhile, the team works tirelessly to stop the Hidden One before he destroys all of humanity. Can the witnesses succeed with the fate of the world on their hands once again? Find out in the all-new Ragnarok season finale of Sleepy Hollow, airing Friday, April 8th. Wow. And I can't believe it's going to be over. I know. That is so sad. But it looks here as if uh, it looks like Daddy may be back again. Jack Walters may be back again. So this is going to be very interesting. So we'll have to see how they leave us. Yes. Because in the past two seasons, we've had a storyline close, right? Right. So my guess is that we will see this story close. And I think you and I have speculated previously that perhaps it'll be these nine sacred spots is the setup for, for next, the next go around. Right. Yeah. For season four. Okay. And then one last thing we have to remind everyone of, don't forget the sleepy hollow creating heroes, demons, and monsters, this official making of book, it's been out for a couple of months now. It's by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. And if you don't have a copy, where can they go to get it, Steve? Well, they can swing by the goldenspiralmedia.com webpage and click on our Amazon link. And it'll take them to where they can purchase the book. And it won't cost them any extra. And it just kicks in a few cents for supporting our servers. Marvelous. So please rate, review, and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews as it helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any of Golden Spiral Media's podcasts, go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Let your friends know, and we hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and I thought today would bear no fruit. And this is Barb signing out. And heading out to listen to a little music that hopefully will not attract a banshee. (laughs) See you next week, sleepyheads.